Welcome to Sunrise, your weekday podcast bringing you a fresh squeeze into Florida's news, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Tremel Gomes. The Florida House released its proposed congressional maps on Monday, appearing to favor Republicans as House Dems continue to call foul. But it does show you how much uh, the lack of transparency in this process uh, when a basically fully baked cake comes out of the oven and no one has any idea how we got there. Governor DeSantis is proposing additional raises and bonuses for law enforcement and first responders. This is probably the most uh, robust uh, package uh, that's been proposed probably anywhere in the country. And the intense debate over mask mandates in Florida has fueled the growth of what has now become a national organization, Moms for Liberty. What you'll hear me say a lot is that we do not co-parent with the government. We will partner with our children's schools, but we do not co-parent with the government. Today's Sunrise interview is with Tiffany Justice, a former school board member and co-founder of Moms for Liberty, a group uniting parents to fight against what they see as short-sighted and destructive policies that they claim are hurting children and families. We've got all that, including other top stories trending around the state and capital. Plus, we have your calendar of political events and so much more. But first, a word from our sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. The following is a paid political advertisement paid for by Florida Education Champions. Everyone loves a win-win, and if you're a fan of sports betting, you can win-win too. Billions of dollars for education, legal sports betting for you. We're Florida education champions and our petition brings competition and choice to legal sports betting in Florida and gives all the tax revenue to public education. That's a win for you and our kids. Be a champion today. Learn more and request your petition at floridaeducationchampions.com. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, November 30th. Attention introverts. Today is National Personal Space Day. It's also National Computer Security Day. And you should expect a nudge from your favorite causes and charities as today is Giving Tuesday or National Day of Giving. On this day in 1987, American author James Baldwin died in France at the age of 63. And in 1993, President Bill Clinton signed the Brady Bill, which required a five-day waiting period for handgun purchases and background checks of prospective buyers. The Florida House released its proposed congressional maps on Monday, which appear to give Republicans more of an advantage when compared to the Senate proposed maps released earlier this month. Observers have combed through and noted the maps would make Democratic Representative Stephanie Murphy's Central Florida District more difficult to win. The House changes adjust several Central Florida districts to make a new 28th congressional district. House Democratic co-leader Evan Jenny slammed the map drawing process. The time to go over line by line uh, to talk with uh, different uh, representatives in different communities to see how this will impact uh, their communities. Um, so we haven't really had a chance to get into any of that, but it does show you how much uh, the lack of transparency in this process uh, when a basically fully baked cake comes out of the oven and no one has any idea how we got there. And certainly the public has no idea. Before the Thanksgiving holiday, the Senate Reapportionment Committee released newly revised maps of the 40 state Senate districts. The president of the League of Women Voters asked the Senate to release raw voting data to help them better analyze the maps. Here is Cecile Schoon, followed by a response from Republican Senator Danny Burgess. We're not understanding why we're not able to have access to the information when 
you yourself are using it to confirm and make these changes. Well, the citizens would like that information and citizen groups would like that same information. I have been assured by staff, and that's what I was leaning over, is that all the data that we are utilizing is available on our software um, and is accessible to the public. Governor Ron DeSantis announced on Monday that he will call on lawmakers to approve a second round of $1,000 bonuses for law enforcement, firefighters, and emergency medical technicians who receive those bonuses this year. He also wants to raise the minimum salary for entry-level officers by 20% and give existing officers a 25% raise. In total, he's asking for about $73 million to execute that plan. This is probably the most uh, robust uh, package uh, that's been proposed probably anywhere in the country. Uh, we feel that uh, it's warranted. We also feel it's the right thing to do. And we feel that we have an opportunity strategically uh, to get an advantage and to recruit uh, not just great people in our state to go into it, which we'll do, but also some of the best uh, throughout the country who are looking for greener pastures. It's expected that the Republican-controlled legislature will follow through on most of the governor's budget requests, since this is his final before the November election where he can highlight all of his legislative victories. Even though the Indian Harbor Police report disputes claims that a student with Down syndrome was unable to breathe and in distress while wearing a mask, Governor DeSantis maintains educators in Brevard County were wrong to tie a mask around the student. The report also states that the parents staged photos of the incident based on the seven-year-old's memory of the event. So here's the thing. Um, it was wrong to force that mask on, on her. She's got Down syndrome. People are making a big deal, say the police didn't think they should bring criminal charges. I never said anything about criminal charges. She was not treated right. That school district was not following state policy. Uh, that's just a fact. And now we're ha happily in a better place where people's rights are respected, where parents' rights are being respected. And I think that that's just a much better uh, situation for all involved. But um, I don't get hung up on some of these policies, whether someone should be prosecuted or not, because I don't know all the individual facts. I just know it was wrong to do what they did to, to a girl who clearly uh, you know, had every reason uh, to not have that happen to her. The child's stepfather, Jeffrey Steele, was featured in the governor's press conference a few weeks back as he held up the child's mask in a Ziploc bag during his speech about the incident. Police investigated and found photos taken to show proof of distress and injuries were taken two days after the fact. Investigators also observed surveillance videos that contradicted the family's claims. There are numerous studies and experiments that show the benefits of wearing masks to slow the spread of COVID-19. Researchers at the nation's top universities and research institutes have continually gathered data and evidence to show even the various degrees of protection on the type of masks worn, from cloths to medical-grade masks. It's actually difficult to find evidence that disproves the benefits of masking. Nonetheless, if you ask Governor DeSantis or Florida Surgeon General, they have continually disagreed on the benefits of masking. Today's Sunrise interview is with Tiffany Justice, a former school board member and co-founder of Moms for Liberty, a group that has been fighting against mask mandates in schools and are advocating for more parental rights. Well, Tiffany Justice, welcome to Sunrise. So glad to have you on. We have been dealing with this pandemic and you've picked up quite the hobby during 
doing it. <laughs> Is that what we're going to call it? <laughs> it's more than a hobby, I think. But yes, you're right. We, we, we started uh, Moms for Liberty in uh, January of 2021. Tina Deskovich and I uh, both served as school board members here in the state of Florida. Tina served in Brevard County. I served in Indian River County, uh, both from 2016 to 2020. How would you describe it? It's now like, you know, a national movement here. So it's no longer like a small at your local commission meeting, now you have the eye of many people across the country. Yeah, no, we do. You're right. We have over 160 chapters in 33 states with over 70,000 members. Um, And what we have found is that parents really wanted to uh, find a way to advocate effectively with uh, for their children at all levels of government, uh, protecting and defending parental rights. Like what made you start this going back to those early days of like you know when we were dealing with this pandemic what triggered you and your colleague to to really jump up and and get this campaign going and turning it into an organization yeah so um tina and i again we both served as school board members um i have four children in public school um so i unpacked a lot of backpacks and I've uh, under have a, a pretty good understanding with children from 16 to 10 of, of public education as a parent. And then as a school board member, Tina and I say we saw behind the education curtain. Um, what we saw was that parents had been increasingly pushed out of public education. And um, we saw that parents were having a hard time finding their way back in, uh, the ones who wanted to. But we also realized that schools made it really easy for parents to not be as involved as we had in the past, uh, taking on more and more of of the raising of children. And um, what you'll hear me say a lot is that we do not co-parent with the government. We will partner with our children's schools, but we do not co-parent with the government. So you ask about COVID and the pandemic Um, I was sitting on the school board. I remember March 13th, 2020, uh, Governor DeSantis closed uh, public schools and um, then got to see behind the scenes as a school district tried to transition to virtual and and what that looked like. Um, There was no accountability for teaching. There was no accountability for learning. Um, I saw grades being given out uh, to children who had not done anything at the end of that quarter for the grade. Um, and, and, and it was very scary to me. Um, and we had basically social promotion where these children went on to the next grade without us really having a clear understanding if they had all of the tools that they needed in order to be successful in the, in the grade that was coming. Um, and so, um, again, very concerning, um, also concerning to see things celebrated as successes when they aren't. And, and uh, the system of public education defends it, protects and defends itself very well, but the only thing they do better is celebrating themselves sometimes. And if you've worked in public ed- education, you know what I mean. Um, and so Tina and I watched as reopening plans were made, the, the governor and the Department of Education, Richard Corcoran, you know, the, the schools had to submit reopening plans. And um, we saw those reopening plans being created and parents' voices were not heard in those reopening plans. And then when schools reopened and we saw the impact of, of forced masking and, and forced quarantines, um, and again, a, a hodgepodge of virtual slash in-person slash, you know, all different types of, of, of education things that were being created kind of as we're, you know, this airplane is being built while we're flying it. Um, again, parents 
really didn't have a voice. So we saw parents coming, expressing concerns about the subclinical harms of masking and quarantining, and districts had abdicated their responsibility to oftentimes bureaucrats who parents couldn't hold accountable. So there were like a, a few tracks running here on, on this yeah. train where <laughs> I was trying to see like how it all got started. Like, were you upset with the mask mandates? But you mentioned as I was listening, it was more of the lack of accountability and lack of having parents included in the process of deciding what to do, whether it be virtual schooling or in-home schooling. But your group is opposed to the mask mandate on that end. And why is it that mask mandates were something that you were just against? Yeah, again, we saw parents coming to us expressing uh, what I termed to be the subclinical harms of masking. So um, headaches, anxiety, um, infections, um, attention issues, um, children with special needs whose whose, uh, services were no longer being given with the same fidelity. And um, it, the, the masks became more important than the child and the child's needs and the parents' concern about the child's needs. And we've always done a really good job. Over, no, I don't know if that's true. We, we have attempted to do a good job in education in making accommodations for children. Um, uh, there was no science or data to support masking. I, I still have not seen any substantive science or data to support masking, um, but I certainly know that it is harmful for some children. And we believed that it should be the sole discretion of the parent to direct the health care of their child. And um, the mask was seen as a medical device. And so um, we really felt that the parents should be the ones directing that if they saw that something was harming their child. Is there anything worse than to make a parent, to force a parent to be complicit in harming their child? And so um, we were so thankful um, that the governor was such a staunch defender of parental rights. Um, we say often parental rights are not partisan issues. We don't support you know, any one person because of their political affiliation. We want to see people making good decisions for children. Um, so the quarantining again, Parents have always, if their children were sick, we asked parents to keep them home in the public education system, right? And all of a sudden, that that wasn't something that we were trusting parents to do anymore. So we were thankful when the new Surgeon General came and said that quarantining will be at the sole discretion of the parent. Um, I can't tell you that the harmful effects of quarantines on um, especially some of our high school and middle school children um, missing weeks and weeks at a time. You'd have a student quarantined, will come back for two or three days, get quarantined again, um, uh, whole sessions of sports taken away, um, children who had really challenged themselves in certain classes that were falling behind and feeling that they would never catch up. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about in public education is mental health of our children. And, and you'll hear me say, the kids are not all right. You're seeing that across the country. We're hearing from parents that the kids are not doing well, and we're seeing increases in violence in schools. And so while we had this focus on mental health for children, when we saw these harmful COVID restrictions affecting our children's mental health, no one really wanted to be honest about that. Um, and Tina and I saw that as a real concern uh, as parents, um, as well as school board members. So Moms for Liberty was born out of the hope that we could help parents to build relationships with school districts. So when things are happening in their children's lives that are affecting them and their development, 
Um, we're giving parents the tools to be able to, to advocate effectively. That's very important. And we hope to be building that. I see and I really do understand your point about the one size fits all mask mandate. There are issues where maybe a student, a child may not be able to deal with that particular mask or it's causing some unintended harm or something else. But you mentioned also that there is no science or data that supports mask mandates or masking to reduce the spread of COVID. Are you not looking into what the CDC is pushing out with regards to reducing of spread and, and the reductions that we've seen here in Florida with people wearing masks? Yeah, no, I, I'm going to again say to you that I have no, that there is no uh, data that supports the forced masking of children masks uh, in the way that children were wearing them, these cloth masks that were made, um, you know, oftentimes handcrafted. Um, children were forced into, teachers were forced into, and there was no regulation, totally unregulated apparatuses that were being forced on children. Um, couple that with the inability of children in general to be able to wear a mask with fidelity. Um, I, I think it's important to note that if you've worked in the public school system, if you've worked in schools in general, kids are kind of gross, right? They drop the mask, they pick the mask up, they get food on it, it gets soiled, they're putting it back on. Um, you know, I, I've seen children wear the same clothes to school day after day. The, the masks were not being washed in the way that they should. And again, we regulate everything in school districts down to what has served everything in the cafeteria, the pencils that we use, the paint that is used on the walls. And so the, the masking was just this broad based approach that um, the CDC itself said was the, the most restrictive not the least restrictive means of, of source control and, and, and protection, but the most restrictive. And it was this broad blanket uh, across every child. And again, if parents are saying that something is harming their children, I think we, um, as a school district, if I'm there at the school district, but just in general, we need to listen to parents and parents are the expert of their own child. Um, the CDC has said a couple other things uh, that I don't necessarily agree with. So, um, you know that 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 is that it that is what it is, and 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 you know it's up to the parent to make the best decision for their child. So could there be like a compromise here, where the CDC's data that shows masking does reduce the spread of COVID? Could there be a situation where parents, those who are concerned about the impact of a mask on their child, where they're like, okay, well, for me. Let's make sure there are some carve outs or some exceptions there where we understand the protection and the slowing of the spread. And there is some where we need to have some exceptions here because this may be causing harm to my child. Is it that you don't want to have masks at all or you don't believe that masks will help at all or more about yeah. the compromise <clears throat> or having to say to not have like a one size fits all for everyone. Well, we're talking about Florida right now, right? So it's it's yeah. been it's been made fairly clear in the state of Florida that parents have the sole discretion to choose whether or not to mask their child and we respect and defend that. You know, I I respect the right of every child of every parent, excuse me. If they'd like to mask their child, we support and respect that. I don't have to agree with a parent uh to respect their their parental right to choose something for their child. And, and so uh, if you're, are you talking about the rest of the country? Because we're talking about Florida politics, right? 
Yeah, we're talking about Florida. And okay. what happens here is happening across the country as well in other states. Sure. Yeah, no, I don't believe that masks are, are doing anything. Masks are not uh, source controlled. They do not stop transmission. Um, again, you're citing CDC studies showing that they stop the spread. Um, we have, uh, and, and we continue to say, we have studies that you can bring before review boards. Why not do a study um, to see if masks are actually effective in the way that children are using them in schools? And what we found is those studies that have been proposed have been turned down because they won't pass ethics review boards. So, you know, this idea that we've been experimenting on children, um, there is deoxygenation that happens from masking. Um, children's respiratory systems are different than adults' respiratory systems. Uh, all of these things that we know to be true um, have been ignored. And so, um, you know, I have yet to see, and many people have yet to see any substantive data to show that masks do anything to affect the transmission of COVID in a school setting. How do you balance? We had schools side by side, Tramel. We had schools and districts. We had districts side by side in Florida that were open. Some had forced masking, some had no masking or optional masking. We had schools within districts themselves where we had children who were unmasked and children who had masks or some portion had masks. And we saw no difference in the transmission of COVID at those schools, none. So I, Florida is a study in and of itself. I agree with you with, there needs to be studies and the collection of the data that we have so far to show what has gone on in these months with this COVID pandemic. Who has been the most notable person that has reached out to you, your organization, in the fight for parents like yourself to have more of a say, like your, your most notable, maybe a celebrity? Well, I'm happy to be doing, I'm happy to be, I'm happy to be doing this interview with you. Are you, a, you're a Florida celebrity, right? I'm like, you know, <laughs> way at the bottom of the totem pole, I would say. <laughs> the most important people in this fight are the parents. Um, it's a very personal journey. You know, when you're, when you're serving as a school board member, you get to see uh, the passion and love that parents have for their children. And no one uh, will fight harder for their child's success than a parent. So the true champions and the stars here are the parents that are getting involved in their children's education, that are serving on textbook review committees, that are building relationships with superintendents and school board members, that are considering themselves to run for elected office so that they can have a larger voice in the future of education in America today. Um, those are the most important people that I deal with every day. And on that point, what do you have planned to do with, shall I say, all of this political capital that you've built up? Will you decide to run for office again or, or, or seek higher office? Um, no, I, you know, I wasn't a very good politician. And when I ran my campaign the first time, again, I had four children. My youngest had yet to enter kindergarten. And I said, um, I'm a parent not a politician. That is still very true. Um, so no, uh, I don't think that the future holds elected office for me. I guess I say, I guess I, you know, to be honest, when I had, when I started having kids, I never thought I would have served as a school board member. And as a school board member, I never thought I would have been running this organization and doing this. So, um, but you know, I think that, uh, Serving as a school board member was a wonderful thing. I learned so much about education, my own children's education and the educational services that school districts provide to other people. Um, I've seen the impact that public education and strong teachers can have in the lives of children. Um, and that's been um, really wonderful to see. We love teachers and they are an important part of our children's lives. Um, 
And so, you know, I hope to be able to continue to uh, empower women and parents around the country to recognize that uh, as a parent, you are the expert of your own child. You don't need a bunch of fancy letters after your name and uh, or, or some uh, to be deemed as an expert by someone else uh, to know what is best for your own child and to have your voice heard um, in their education. That's the hope for, for Tina and I. Uh, we hope to have 3,000 chapters, one for every county in the United States of America, and uh, a mom and a Moms for Liberty t-shirt, or a couple of them, hopefully. Um, some of our chapters are in the thousands now, um, standing and speaking at school board meetings and helping to steer the ship of the future of our country. All right. Well, thank you once again for taking this time to speak with me. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful day. Have a great day, everybody in Florida. Special thanks to Tiffany Justice with Moms for Liberty for joining the program. Here's your calendar of events. It's a busy Tuesday. The Senate Judiciary Committee will consider a proposal, SPB 7014, that would extend COVID-19 legal protections for healthcare providers. The Senate Commerce and Tourism Committee will take up a bill, SB 500, filed by Republican Senator Keith Perry, that would allow back-to-school shoppers to avoid paying sales taxes when they buy clothes, school supplies, and personal computers during a nine-day tax holiday in late July and early August. The Senate Education Committee will take up a bill, SB 480, filed by Republican Senator Danny Burgess, that would require public schools to teach about social media literacy. The Senate Ethics and Elections Committee will take up a proposal, SJR 244, filed by Republican Senator Joe Gruters, aimed at switching to partisan school board elections in Florida. The Senate Military and Veterans Affairs Space and Domestic Security Committee will consider a bill, SB 254, by Republican Senator Jason Brodeur that would shield religious services from being shut down because of state emergency orders. Beyond the Capitol, the task force on abandoned African-American cemeteries will meet in Tallahassee. The Florida Children and Youth Cabinet is scheduled to meet at the Capitol today, and Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed will host the Taste of Florida Agriculture Reception at 5 p.m. in the Capitol Courtyard. Finally, as you jumpstart your day, thanks for tuning in for today's Sunrise. I'm Tramel Gomes, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for a fresh squeeze into Florida's news, politics, and culture. Oh,